listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by two presenters today, uh, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi there, Ollie. Hey, how's it going? Yes, very good indeed. And Holly Shackleton, who is editor of Speciality Food magazine, because us three want to talk about food waste. We do. We really do. We really do. do. Now, I know know there's loads and loads in the press at the moment and all that sort of stuff, but uh, you can't shy away from the fact, and this isn't fake news, this isn't this isn't a Donald Trump thing. It's real. A third of all the food produced in the world for human consumption every year doesn't get eaten by humans. It gets wasted. Doesn't get eaten by anybody else either. Um, now you've got some really interesting stats, haven't you, Ollie? That you do with Great British Chefs. We think people are lying, don't we? Well, yeah. I mean, lying is a is a is a strong word, but I think there's a, clearly a degree of denial about the the individual role in the problem. So I think everyone is aware. So when you look at the data, people are aware that, you know, food waste is a problem and they're thinking about it. But when you say, are you wasting food waste? Do you find yourself throwing, oh, no, not me, sir, is the kind of, is the kind of reaction. And I think it's quite interesting because, look, all of us know that, you know, you whether it's, you know, you there, there is just food waste in the home. And clearly, you know, I think the numbers are, I think only 30% of people agree that they find themselves throwing away food. 60% or 60% say so they 60, aren't. Okay, so 60% so, of people say at home they don't really throw food away. So it's amazing. What's so, the statement? 23% of people strongly disagree that they find themselves throwing away food. Strongly disagree? Strongly disagree. It's like, no, so not, no, no. So that's right up the end? That's not, right not, at the other end, yeah. So I mean, a so, quarter And, and if, people, you take, if, you really? take the fact, if you take the fact that only... 30% of the UK are foodies and therefore probably going to say are more kind of food conscious. Aware, yeah. Like those two numbers would be aligned. But the reality is, you know, actually when you look at the foodies, they are, I think, more sentient of the problem. I just think there's an enormous amount of denial about, about the amount that's wasted. You see, I feel incredibly guilty when I throw away food. I don't want to throw away food. We, we have got um, a, you know, recycling collection for food waste, which is great, but I still don't, even that, I just don't like it. But, you know, it's bread for me that gets wasted a lot. We know nearly half of all bread gets um, thrown away. Um, and, but it's all sorts of other things. And I do feel guilty about it, but I know I do it. I do do it. I try and minimise it as much as possible, but I, I inevitably do it. You know, there's lots of reasons for that. It's quite often that, that the stuff I buy is too big. I don't want it that big, you know. I want something smaller, but but and then I don't use the rest of it. Um, so it's, there's, there's a myriad of but reasons, but I, I do throw food away. I, but, but I don't it, like it. But it's partially, I mean, the the, the food supply chain is built on standardisation. Yep. So you get things in a set pack size, and that may not align with the recipe you're cooking, how mm. you want to eat, what you're doing. And so... But you know, why can't you buy five slices of bread? I don't understand why you have to buy even a small loaf. Buy bread, just buy flour, make it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, agree. <laughs> yeah, that works. But it, it doesn't work for me. I just don't. Have, I mean, I could at the weekend possibly, but I just don't have the time. I'd love to. When I retire, I will, and I'll make some and I'll bring I it round your house for you. 
Yeah, I will. <laughs> Holly, do you throw food away? I, you're a foodie. You love food. I, I know you do. I was going to say, I love food so, so much, but I am equally guilty. I absolutely do. And I, I hate cardboard bread, kind of supermarket bread, the mass-produced, commoditized bread. So I get really, really good sourdough or I do make it myself. But then the issue with that is that it doesn't keep for as long. So mm. you end up, you know, a day later, two days later, you can't really use it for that much. So it goes in the bin. And I hate that. I really, yeah. I'm so conscious of it. I hate it. But I do it. The, the other thing that I, that, that I throw a lot away is, um, is, is like lettuce and you know, leaves, I would call them, because... I don't want to buy as much as I, I buy. And then when I do, I manage to get through half of it, but I don't manage to get through all of it. And, and as you say, it degrades or, or whatever before before I get the chance to use it. Yeah, and I, I've got a similar problem. Flash's diet is down at the moment. So, oh, right. It's that your yeah, tortoise. That's the tortoise. So the tortoise is not eating. I can eating. bring the lettuce round to your Yeah, house. you should. Well, no, she's not eating at the moment as much. Oh, because oh, um, I presume they're hibernating. It's heading, heading towards winter. So. Mm. Yeah, so Flash is also contributing to my food waste problem that she's oh, not eating enough lettuce. No. Uh, what else do you regularly <laughs> throw away? I, I also think it's about, I think it's about, you know, when you cook an amount of food, I find, what you know, we we're, there's this constant growing cycle of sort of plastic, you know, containers in the fridge that contains not enough of anything for, to make a meal. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I made a, a, a Yotamotlengi dish last night, which was some cod cheeks with, you know, delicious tomato sauce. So much and, more, Solly. And, well, <laughs> I, you, know, you know, doing the Yotam thing. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, I ended up with, Probably enough for one, but that's not going to satisfy me, my wife, or my two children. So it's yeah. like, mm. see, I'm really, really good at, at doing what I call ready, steady, cook. I've got things, and I take the so, so my f food that I eat for dinner. You know, I well, I don't waste. It'll always get reused for something. It, it's the it's the you know it's the fresh ingredients. I think that I I really struggle with. You know, because they're well, because they're in sizes so. that, I, that, that I don't want. I think. Mm. It's mm. very, it's very hard. It's very hard, and, and but, but, but the restaurant industry is is yeah. So how do they cope? Because because that's money that that you know yeah, that's yeah. about gross profit. So so you know, do you feel that they're really tackling it? But there are two ends more of it, more? which is that you put food on a consumer's plate, and there's an expectation that the, the portion of chips is of a certain size or the mashed potato, and people don't eat it, and. You know, you don't say to a chef, you know, I'd hate broccoli, so please don't serve that. So, you know, if the dish comes with broccoli, the broccoli, the wastage is at the consumer end, so that's the scrapings well, yeah. at the end, as well as, you know, the. I mean, I think I think chefs are much better because they they you know they do all the kind of staff meals and they mm. they know how to play that game. I mean, I, I, I particularly in America, sometimes you know, you go and they dish up the most huge plate of food, and it really upsets me. But mm. because actually, it's totally unnecessary, mm. and you know, half it's going to go to waste. But it feels like they want to present that because it's you know they want you to think it's good value, and 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 you know, I don't know, they're trying to make a point in some ways, and I I just I find that really just upsets me really. Mm. I think um, there's a local. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a restaurant, cafe, mm. um, Darsham Nurseries in Suffolk. Um, I think they've had a lot of press. Ollie's... I went there last weekend. So did I. Did you? I, didn't I did. Did you not bump into each other? No, I went on Sunday. On... I went on Saturday. Oh. And I was very proud. My son ate lamb's hearts. Oh, well done. Mm. Good job. Um, so they, at really Darsham good. Nurseries, the amazing Darsham Nurseries, they do uh, compost crisps. Which are basically, oh. so the peelings from potatoes and carrots oh, okay. and beetroot, anything like that, just fry it up, serve it as crisps. 
and it's amazing. But the compost crisps, they're being very mm. kind of clear about what it is. They're not trying to sugarcoat it. And do you think with deli and farm shops that um, there is more of a drive from consumers looking for people that are using, you know, sort of food rescue, I'd say, you know, like rubies in the rubble and people like mm. that. Do you think there's a drive from consumers? Are they looking for people who are using wonky fruit and, you know, all that sort of thing? See, I don't know how active consumers are kind of right. en masse. I think there are definitely, um, there's a number of more discerning customers who are looking for that kind of thing, who do actively want to make a difference. Um, but I would say that probably the majority of consumers, if um, a product that they're buying is sustainably produced, kind of using food waste or whatever it is, they'll see that as a plus point um, and they may go for that over a different product which doesn't offer that. But, yeah, but only if the taste levels are the yeah, same or, or other think, benefits are the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think they, they see it as a good thing, but they don't want to sacrifice. Just outliers, yeah. Are you seeing any trends in people buying more, in inverted commas, ethical products? I think there's increasing waste? interest in brands that have a story of provenance and a quality and a holistic approach to to their supply chain and also their wider impact. Mm. You know, is this a company I want to do you know, in quotes, business with. And I think a lot, you know, even the, you know, the big, the big businesses nowadays are, are looking at that. Mm. Um, and I think there is, there is increasing demand around it. I'm not sure it's specifically targeted at food waste yet. Um, but I think it, there, there, there's sort of a, is this a brand that's doing the right thing is kind of the, the fundamental question. And that's one of the boxes. Well, if you're listening to the show and you do actually throw food away and you answer research... <laughs> survey monkeys or whatever and say that you don't can you actually tell the truth because the reason why I'm saying that is that actually I think we really need to understand what the, tr the true level of things because we won't get manufacturers to change or, or whatever unless we, we really admit that, that this is a problem for us all and I think people sort of are slightly economical with truth because because we all feel bad about it we genuinely don't want to do it yeah um, and therefore, so I think we, we need a bit more transparency because if we can do that, it means we can we can lobby people, can't we? And and, and try and look at different ways of selling it at, at, at the retail end. I think. Oh, it's on my high horse there. Um, that brings me rather nicely to Miles Hawley of Precipice Design. Hi, Miles. Hello. And uh, Michael Minch. Dixon of Snacked. You've been on before, Michael, haven't you? I have, yeah. You have. Do you want to just give us a, a you're an award winner uh, for the Food Talk Awards, actually. We are. You are. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we quite like your snacks, but actually you're an award winner for your packaging. We are. Yep. Yeah. So can you just tell us, because we're going to munch while you're talking. Please Can't do. talk and munch at the same time. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about Snacked, uh, this, this, this product here, which we're, we're just about to eat, but also about the packaging and what, what you're trying um, to achieve? Absolutely. So um, Snacked is uh, the amalgamation of Snack and Act, and the idea being can we create products that are you know delicious and great for people, but also have a positive impact on the environment and, and potentially uh, society as well. Uh, so in front of us here, we have our fruit jerky, which is 100% fruit snack. Uh, we take whole fresh fruit, blend it together and dehydrate it. There's no added sugar, there's no preservatives, no flavoring. So very natural, good product for you. Um, but what's nice about the product is it's helping to tackle food waste. So we work with farmers in Kent to uh, use up their surplus apples. So apples that are maybe a bit too big, too small, blemished by frost or hail or whatever have you. Um, stuff that traditionally isn't isn't finding its way to market, we buy it from them um, and then turn it into um, a healthy snack. 
We also have banana bars, um, but I was stingy, so I didn't bring any in today. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> mm, no, these are lovely. I've got the I've got the blueberry apple banana. Fruit yeah. jerking, very nice. Thank you. Mm. Um, the banana bars we do slightly differently. So there we work with the supermarkets and their supply chains, and there on a daily basis, bananas are being graded out often because they're a bit too ripe for that stage of the supply chain. So they don't have time to go from the ripening center to the warehouse to the supermarket, and then you're home. So instead of them adding value along the supply chain, they, they they then discard it earlier on. And there we can intervene, take that, and then dry them and turn them into a, uh, a nice healthy snack. What do you mean ripening centre? Uh-huh. So uh, we don't grow bananas in the UK, as uh, <laughs> you might imagine. Um, so most of them come from Africa or South America. They're shipped um, green. Um, and then once they come to the UK, they go to ripening centres. And there the ripening process is triggered um, by... Yeah, application of heat and some chemicals sometimes and that that then gets the bananas to start going from being green to so what do hang them all up somewhere in some warehouse and like like pretend that they, they do sort of atmospheric conditions as if they're in africa it's a, yeah they're just these huge warehouses that have loads of um almost parking bays uh where you put pallets and pallets of of the bananas in their boxes and then they they close the the, the kind of garage door almost and then trigger the ripening process. See, to me, that's why they go off so quickly, because they're being ripened artificially, Yeah, probably. And they taste different to, you know, when you're... I mean, I, I've always... I, I, bananas and me have never been friends. But, um, you know, there's a fundamental difference between, like, a small banana you'll eat in the middle of India, you know, uh, or Sri Lanka, and one you get in the UK. Yeah. I just think they taste of nothing here. Well, I think you could say the same avocados. Though. Avocados are the same, I think, aren't they? Um, sim- I think similar picked. process, yeah. yeah. The, the challenge is you're never going to get them over here. Without doing that. Otherwise, so. Yeah. Um, and bananas are the most popular fruit in the in the UK. By far. By far. Mm. Um, so there's an awful lot of them coming in. And, uh, I'm a fan of bananas. I like bananas. Quite a lot of them going to waste. Mm. So uh, tell us about your packaging, because we, um, we gave you a, a Food Talk Award to do with your packaging. I think you've I think you've got a bit of a problem here though, can I say? Tell me. Because it looks so incredibly normal that nobody would know that this is amazing recycling packaging. Yeah, I have to say I, I was waiting for you to explain why it's special because it looks like packaging. Yeah, but there, therein lies a problem, I think. So what's, do you the, what's the packaging what story? Let me, mm. let me explain. So we um we started Snacked in twenty thirteen. Um and at the time, we, I mean, we started with the mission of wanting to tackle food waste, but immediately we, we said we don't want to be solving one waste problem and then creating another waste problem in terms of plastic packaging. Um, and so we're looking for, for alternatives. And, and back then, just, there really weren't things that, that were uh, comparable to the traditional plastic film. Um, but forward on a, a couple of years, we, we then met a company called Tipa, who are a, um, a startup company that have grown quite a lot, and they're making... Um, compostable packaging um, and one of some of the interesting innovations that they've brought to it obviously there's been compostable packaging for a while but one is ensuring that you actually get a good seal so that the the product stays fresh for a long time here we get a shelf life of a year um, we also saw before with compostable packaging that the printability was was very poor so it looked very faded you couldn't really get brand colors onto it and as you can see our packaging is is really vibrant um, but this is compostable this is compostable you can put that in a home compost bin and it will start composting um, in ambient conditions. In, 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 I mean, is there a tension here between if it stays on shelf for a year, if I put it in my compost bin, 
No. What you're saying is it's going to it's going to compost take a long time. itself in some, on on a Sainsbury's shelf. Is that what you're worried? Well, about? No, I'm sort of saying is have you in order to make it work on the Sainsbury's shelf? Does that mean the composting process is longer? Um, as a trade, is there, is there not or not? Somewhat. So, I mean, we we could have a a thinner film which wouldn't have the same barrier properties, which would decompose faster. Um, but this can decompose in six months' time. Um, so it's it's a relatively rapid right. um, process. The composting doesn't start until there's access or until it's, it's exposed to the right, um, you know, mouldy, well, temperature yeah, whatever. Exactly. You, you need the, the, the moisture, the temperature, the yep. the bacteria. Um, so it, you, you look stunned that that is actually I'm, compostable, and I th- I think that's one of Michael's issues. Is it looks just so normal mm. that that it's such an amazing choice be, be, because you know this is com- compostable, it's brilliant. which is amazing. But mm. but then again, we had the guys from um, I'm going to forget their name the cor- the people who are providing coffee cups, Cornware, Cornware. Thank mm. you. Um, and actually, again, that looked absolutely identical normal. to everything else. And, and and there is a problem on that, which is you would see this and actually throw it into your recycling bin rather than... Or not make the choice understanding that, that this is absolutely in the round, environmentally friendly in, from every perspective, which is what you're trying to achieve, isn't it, Michael? Yeah. Although, I mean, and this is touching on the an earlier point that you were making about where where is the consumer and how active are they in, in choosing eco-products and how much they care about these things. We, When we do sampling and we engage people, we ask them, why do you buy our product? Food waste doesn't come up. Plastic sometimes comes up, but 90% of people say, well, I, I trust you guys. I like the, that's really clean ingredients. I like the product. It's, it's good for me. It's good for my kids. So the, the sustainability story, I think, is um, secondary, secondary yeah. at the point of consumption. Where it really comes through is when we're engaging people online or in the media or in a broader sense, because when people are sitting back and thinking about these issues, they're really happy to see that their company is trying to do something about that. And I think that builds a lot of brand loyalty. It builds engagement. It gets people interested in us. But actually, at the point of consumption, you're making your decision so quickly that you're not really thinking, oh, well, where has this come from? What's the mm-hmm. bon- benefit that's coming from it? So um, that's why we, you know, we, we want it just to seem like a snack that your kids would like or you would like that's really visually appealing and flavorsome. And then on the back, that's where we tell the story. Okay, so that that will get you loyalty, but but not necessarily the first purchaser. Yeah. I think is what you're saying, yeah. Miles. What's your thoughts on this? Because it is a bit of a, a dilemma for Michael, isn't it? I love the company and what they're trying to do. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, the companies that we work with, um, we do a lot of sort of FMCG packaging. Um, you know, the visual appearance on the shelf is is paramount to them. So you either go down the route of making it look efficacious, recyclable, compostable, whatever it is, or not. But I think that that is going to change quickly over time as more and more packs become, you know, ethically sound like this. Why should they look compostable? Why should they have to give that that kind of notion? I think people, um, there are negative connotations to that as well, particularly in terms of cost. People expect to pay a little bit more for that stuff. Mm. So I think what you're doing actually I think is quite sound. I might question how that's branded or the communication on pack is is communicated that perhaps is something you could bring to the forefront a little bit more beef up a bit but you know as as Mm. the consumer becomes more educated i don't think there's any reason why these packs shouldn't look like normal packs Mm. it is about then as you know we've seen such movement over the last year around things like trying to reduce meat consumption and embracing you know more vegetarian meals and stuff 
you, you do on some level need some cues that make you go, I'm making a good choice here. Yeah. Because make you feel good about yourself a little bit, in a way. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in the sense that otherwise, you you know, if I saw that next to, say, Urban Fruit or, you know, some of the other brands, how would I know which one is is more aligned with me unless I do mm. a lot of, you know, sort of background research? And that is, as like, you say, not the time, not something the consumer has the time to do. Yeah, so. I think that's what I mean in terms of <clears throat> information hierarchy on pack. You know, clearly you want somebody, it's an impulse buy per, purchase, it's a snack. Um, but there's got to be a way of graphically communicating that in an easier way. I don't believe there are any standards for this in terms of iconography, you know, perhaps that's something to lobby for. But uh, you said it's around the back of the pack, you know, people mm. rarely get to that until they get home. So such a know. lot to get on a pack though, isn't it? I mean, legally mm. and all sorts of other things. You know, you've got I mean, barcodes, you've got best before dates. You, you know, you have to put ingredients list. You have, I mean, there's quite a lot that's gone there, there already. It's, it's, it's difficult uh, dilemma. So, Miles, um, can you just tell me a little bit about what you do in terms of the, 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 the waste sector? Yeah, so um, Precipice is a strategic design agency. My, my mm. background is product design primarily. Uh, although I've done a fair amount of packaging work. Um, and we, we quite often for companies are looking at future pipelines of products. So it might be two, five, 10, 20 years out, depending on what sector. Um, and the the whole issue of food waste is, is obviously front of mind uh, for many of our FMCG clients, food clients, um, but not for product clients. So if you think right. about white goods manufacturers, they're not doing a whole lot of good or, 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 or development work in terms of food or alleviating food waste. So you're talking about fridge manufacturers, kitchen people, you know, exactly kitchen that. manufacturers, yeah. Exactly that. So mm. if you think about the fridge, I think it was first conceived in 1913. It hasn't really changed since then. It's a big box that essentially either chills your food or freezes it. Um, not very efficiently, not very intelligently. So the concept we've, we've come up with, um, EcoModule, looks at breaking that box down into smaller units which fit into a standard um, a standard uh, kitchen module so a drawer module or a, or a cupboard um, and intelligently will um, look at what's what's inside so if it's fresh fresh fruit and veg it'll know that if it's if it's a pre-packed food it'll know that um, it'll also know the status of it so it'll know when it's when it's uh, sell by day is so it can change from a chilled unit to a freezing unit without you having to to worry about so, it. So I'm trying. I'm trying to visualise this. So I've got my kitchen. Right? I've, got, yeah. I've got my drawer, which yeah. I've got full of my cutlery. Then I've got. I've got. I've now got a uh, you know a cupboard thing where my my bin. I've got three little yeah. separate bins thing in there. And then I've got. I've got other you know cupboards that have got my pots and pans and my plates and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. What you're are you suggesting then that that, that one of those cupboards could say like be my little vegetable fridgey space, exactly. uh, which would then be monitored, for example, and another one might be something where I put all my meat or whatever. But actually, instead of having a, a fridge unit, you'd be able to separate those out and distribute those around your kitchen. Exactly. So imagine, yeah, like I say, it's a modular system built around. I mean, most most Western um, kitchens are, are the same dimensions. So mm. rather than one big box you can break that down. So it could be just a drawer, it could be a shelf, it could be a, a, a whole cupboard. Um, so from an energy perspective, you're, you're saving saving there. But yeah, because one might be empty and you just switch it off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and, and obviously people are living in different ways. So why does everybody have to have an under-counter fridge or a double-height fridge? I don't know, actually. I've only just thought about it. 
I'm stunned into silence. Why, why have we? Is it just a habit? I think it's just culturally that's what people... And, you know, manufacturers are set up to do that. Um, so also, it also comes from a sort of... Uh, you know, if you look at, if you look beyond the UK, there are certain status symbols around. You know, the big fridge, the kind of you know, if you yeah. take the kind of the big American home, you know, you want the big double fronted kind of okay. you yeah. know, fridge. But then, but I mean, within with the sort of sort of mm. the iconography of of consumerism and the iconography of success, you know, the sort of the big smeg, fridge, like a big yeah, bullet. big smeg yeah, fridge. A, yeah. I mean, well, smeg smeg sort of a European yeah. design led one, but, but you know but that sort of big, sort of almost like the, automotive looking sort of thing. Yeah. But if you if you think about Shiny. it, the the choice that's open to a consumer is exactly that one massive, great big, you know, monolith in your kitchen. I mean, all, all that's different, presumably, is the, is, is the external look of it. They're all the same on the inside in the way that they yeah, work. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. pretty much. But they're not intelligent in terms of the way that they chill. They don't recognise really what's inside them. You might compartmentalise a salad drawer, mm. you know, whoopee-doo. Um, if you break it down into smaller units, you could control those units in terms of their temperature mm. um, more effectively so that the food that you have got is is at the right temperature um, when exactly. you buy it. But also, yep. to your point earlier about, you know, having to chuck stuff away, Without you having to think about it, it might turn your your bread bath your bread bin into a freezer unit, so that those four or five slices don't go off; yep. they get frozen. Yep. Um, in that way, that's that's the basic concept to conserve um, food intelligently. And with the you know the rise of in the smart homes, this is definitely coming. This is not kind of no, reinvented. This is it's really not sci-fi. The, the you know the technology is there. It's just trying to persuade those white goods manufacturers to think about it a little bit more cleverly. But I think consumers to demand it. I mean, ultimately, I think there is, you know, it's interesting, Yumly, who are quite a big American recipe site, were purchased by Electrolux a few years ago. And there's this crossover between, you know, a consumer Mm. publication and the world of electronics. And clearly, so Chef Steps, another of the big American um, food websites, now makes sous vide. So there's clearly... There are worlds crossing there. Hmm. Um, nothing yet has come out of it that's that's I no. to call interesting. But there's definitely stuff bubbling, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. I think it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because consumers have become so familiar with fridge and freezer formats that it's, they don't really question it. Um, I've I've went to an exhibition in Germany probably 25 years ago where they launched an intelligent fridge. Hmm. Um, and that really hasn't moved on a great no, deal. It, hasn't, hasn't. it might have a screen on it. It yeah. might it might read a barcode or two, and that is literally it. Yeah. Um, and there's way more that could be done. And I think not only in the consumer space, but you know, we're talking about um, restaurants and and um, you know more commercial applications. I think the the eco module idea is pertinent to those as well. Mm. Um, it's about managing food and how it's chilled and frozen and super frozen. Holly, could you imagine your, what your kitchen would look like at home if, if that was the case? I'm doing that just now. It's weird, isn't I'm it? I'm just trying to think of it as my, my, what my kitchen would look like. I have... Uh, visually, I can't quite picture it, mm. but I'm excited by the possibility of a cheese drawer. Yes. Can you imagine? And then yeah. you don't I mean, I've got to... a wine fridge, which oh. is that's pretty cool. Of course. Yeah. Which you can do, you know, you can do... T- there's two temperatures in it, so one's for white and one's for red. Well, that's good. So it's, it's, it's a bit like that, but it still looks like a, but it still looks like a fridge yeah. and acts like a fridge. I, Whereas this, for me, is it will be a component part of your kitchen. It'll yeah. just be integrated into your kitchen. So I'm a man, I mean, I have a kind of snack drawer where I keep cheese biscuits and things. 
So, well, a, a cupboard. So I'm imagining the cheese could go next to that. Mm, I don't like know, that, it could be quite kind of yeah. user-friendly. It's just the fact that things like changing product packaging is a relatively easy move to make. So, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a quick fix. Whereas changing your fridge refrigeration system is an investment both for the manufacturer and mm. also for the consumer as well. Cheese drawer. You'd have a cheese drawer, wouldn't you? <laughs> I was thinking of my, my my fridge scenario at home is so surreal at the moment. We've got a fridge, which is for food. We have a fridge that Flash lives in during the um, hibernation period. This is Flash the tortoise. And then we have a deep freeze that my wife bought so that we could freeze all our clothes and get rid of the moths. <laughs> Wow. So we, have, we don't live on a planet that anybody else lives on, do like we, have a fr- we have a freezer for our clothes and a fridge for our tortoise. It's like, what is going on? Anyway, but I tell you what I was going to say is, I think one of the things that's really interesting about the, the, the setup I don't even know in your mind, no, no, the, 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 the world of, of fridges and freezers is that I think often the, the relationship between those two units is wrong because actually the amount of fresh food you should have in your fridge is actually much, much smaller than the amount of frozen and kind of... Um, store cupboard essentials because if you think about actually you know really in a meal you have stuff that you know small amount of stuff that's fresh you know whether that's vegetables or protein and then you've got sauces and tin stuff and actually i think i think i think one of the condiments and yeah but i think one of the things we need to do is use our freezer way more or dried things yeah which which don't need the space yeah i I think the sort of but you're locked you're locked into those those boxes that are fixed no i agree um (laughs) the whole idea is that these units can transform from an ambient uh, draw, maybe for cheese, to a chilled drawer to a freezer unit in the flexible. same unit. Yeah. So if you've got multiple units, you can then they could all be ambient, they could all be freezing, or they could be combinations. Yeah. They could hold role. seven degrees to keep Flash happy for That's the, for the exactly. three months. Period. It'd be perfect well, for you your tortoise throughout the season. Yeah, seven, seven after degrees. hibernation. Yeah, you could adjust the temperature and then bring him in gently uh, to the world uh, after hibernation. Yeah. That'd be good. Um, Miles, how how are you going to disrupt it, or how are we going to disrupt this? And 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 help us move towards that? Because, I mean, now you've talked about it, it makes perfect sense. That's a very good question. I mean, I think we've we've generated, it, I mean, clearly it is a concept, but it's a viable concept. Mm. Um, this is something that I think just needs a little bit of investment. It doesn't need huge investment to get this to a prototype level. I think once you get that and it gets out there and consumers see that and see the benefits that it can bring, it might be a pull for, for these white good manufacturers to sit up and invest themselves. Mm. I mean, it's it's literally that. So, so you have got a concept, uh, this, this eco-mod concept. Have you done some sort of um, prototypes and stuff? So we've done, we've only done sort of visual prototyping. Um, mm. So if you look at our website, you'll 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 see some imagery. Mm. Um, that is that is the first step on a design development program. Making some physical prototypes would be next, which would include industrial designers, some some technical people. Um, some people with with uh, smart home mm. experience, but it wouldn't take a huge amount to get a physical prototype up and running. I don't believe. Um, so I, you know, it's it's not pie in the sky. This is could be done within two or three years, which is pretty rapid. But it's getting but the accepted is, as a as a as a concept yeah. at, at the consumer level as well, isn't it? But it's also that you know the fact of the matter is these enormous white goods manufacturers have huge factories all over the world that are churning out certain standard boxes. Yeah. And to say, no, 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 rather than them being, you know, to fit in a 600, you know, mail, whatever it is, by three, whatever that that classic format is. You know, I mean, the entire system, whether it's Ikea or whether it's, the, you know, they're all designed to fit it. So you've got to to have someone who's, you know, it it requires 
the sort of the Tesla type approach to go, I'm just going to do this differently. Yeah. But I've got shed loads of money, so I can afford to do it differently. Yeah, but there are people who are very into, yeah. you, know, it, you know, it ticks an environmental box, it ticks a waste box, there's clearly, it's a massive market. Well, and for me, it's a space box as well. I mean, so many people are living in smaller accommodation and kitchens are ever, ever smaller. Exactly. And, and for me, I think it, it would, you know, make sense in terms of space, let alone yeah. any other consideration. I mean, there are people out there already doing sort of warming drawers and modular systems. Mm. It's not like it's not been done before. It's just it needs that to go a step further. It, it does, and mm. I think, um, it, and it doesn't necessarily because of the modularity of it. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the kitchen. This is the interesting thing. So, the, the, you know, in the old, um, we're all living it. different lives, particularly in in sort of urban conurbations where where you know space is at a different. premium. Yeah, um, you can imagine this making you know the, the way that people actually live their lives today is also changing. So. That, you know, refrigerating food will need to but change anyhow. Essentially, if you look at the change induction-wise, so, you know, years ago, we were, you know, you could not imagine a world beyond gas. And actually, a lot of the top chefs nowadays do yeah. rave about induction. I hate induction, though. It makes me so angry. I know, it, <laughs> because I, mine I, just takes over, and I don't want it to take over. I want to, I just want to cook. And then it starts bleeping if I spill some water on it, and then it turns itself off, like, for safety reasons. And it's like, can you just stop over-engineering things? Yeah, it's funny. I saw one, you know, there's one of those walk ones. I saw the other yeah. with the guys with Jeremy Pang from School yeah. of Walk, and he has one of those induction things, and that's changed massively. So it's not it's possible. And the kitchen has been through. You know, you know, I've seen tandoors for you know yeah. home use. You've got you know home barbecues. You've got all sorts of weird, and wonderful stuff. But you really, you're really right that the fridge has really it's not, not it's yeah. never it's, it's just never changed. Anything. And yeah. if you if you think about the the way that kitchen equipment has evolved particularly over the last five, ten years, a lot of it is fed by professional kitchen equipment. Induction did come from, from professional mm. use. So who, who thought you'd be able to go and buy a sous vide bit of kit or a, Not a thermo mix know, or you know, all these high-end pieces of kit? <laughs> Don't um, I, like... Sue likes she's, she's a fan. Um, so maybe that's one. the route in, is you, yeah, yeah. you get the professional kitchens and professional equipment to buy into a modular system. But they've got those awesome, down. and I know it's completely... I mean, I love a walk-in fridge. That's, you know, that's you walk, just a big module. No, I, it's a very big, but there's nothing cooler when you go into the big chef's kitchen. They go so environmentally unfriendly. I understand that. So much of it gets wasted. <laughs> so much energy is wasted. But yeah. it feels so good. It does feel so yeah. good on a hot day. You walk into the fridge. But I really worry about those films. You know, where people get locked in them. You know, <laughs> on purpose when they die. Not yeah. inside. Not on, not on purpose on their part. No, 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 no. Say, somebody yeah. like wants to do them in, yeah. so they get locked inside one of those. I'm that is always that. a fear. So always keep the door slightly ajar. When you're in it. Just keep people you trust around yeah, exactly. and you'll be fine. Exactly. Michael, um, are you involved in this at all? Uh, not not really, no. No. Um, it's a great idea though, don't you think? Would you do that at home? Um, I think I would actually. Um, I think, you know, back to the, the visualisation of our own fridges and the number of times that the fridge is either completely empty apart from a few different things or, um, or, then, or then jam-packed. So having that kind of flexibility to use the space and, and the energy that's used to cool that space more effectively makes makes a lot of sense. One of the things I don't quite get is, and we're talking about bread, I often buy a big loaf of bread, I'll cut half of it, um, quarter it, and then put that in the freezer. And so then I have, you know, two, three days where I'm using the first half, and then afterwards I can pull out a quarter, defrost it, and it's, it's as if it's new. Um, but that requires me to think in advance. This is when I will use mm. the food. So how how does the how does the fridge know? Oh well, this is something that's intended for, you know, a distant use versus oh I've forgotten about it versus actually I want to eat it 
um, today? Damn good question. Damn good question. Mm. Well, I, I think the the system is only going to work if you give people the ability to either allow it to, to be smart or you, you take control or a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, we, we've all seen technologies. Phone, exactly. Yeah. Bit of an app. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to have that level of control. So it may be that you control it entirely and you, and you set the, the temperatures. Mm. Or if, if there is smart packaging where... As soon as that item is put into the into the into the unit, it knows what it is, what the sell by date is, how long it might last for. Yep. It it can it can take over and help, and it, I think that is it's helping you manage it without it being becoming sort of too onerous. Great. So, if there's any uh, manufacturers out there who want to disrupt the market and be yep. brave, uh, how could they get in contact with you? Miles. They could go to our website um, or contact me directly at Precipice, so uh, precipice-design.com. Precipice-design.com, and that will obviously be on the Food Talk website. Uh, that's really got me thinking. It's really interesting. Mm, really, really, really good. It's interesting when you find one of those categories where there has just been no movement. Mm. Yeah. And that's definitely it's one bizarre, where there's it? been lots of design movement and there's been yeah. lots of... Aesthetic, though. Aesthetic. It's only all aesthetic. aesthetic. Yeah. It's all yeah. as, I mean, the, as you said, the internal box remains the same. Yeah. Mm. And um, also Michael Minch Dixon of Snacked, and Snacked is spelled S-N-A-C-T, and that's snacked.co.uk. Um, we, I'm a great fan of what you do because I think you've thought through literally every single aspect of your business. So Thank you very much. Good luck with that. Thank you. Help it, uh, keeps, it keeps going well. Um, any final words from you on waste today, um, Ollie? No, I, th- I, I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting challenge around how we all try and tackle this. And, and it, it, it's a conversation, I think, that at the moment that there's a lot of noise in the system about waste, 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 but less about how to personally tackle it. And I think actually that's one of the challenges I think that we all have, which is giving people better bits of advice and ways in which you can actually make a positive impact in this area. But unless it's a bit like an alcoholic, unless you um, unless you admit you're throwing this stuff away, you're not gonna you're not gonna tackle it. And I think we need to we all need to really admit what we're doing and then ask for help and, and say, well, we need technical solutions, we need product solutions as well as the food yep. you know solutions as well. Help, help, you know, help me because I don't want to do this. Um, but I think you have to admit it in the first place. Totally. The one, one of the best tips I got which was if you have half a bottle of wine or wine left over, freeze the wine. No, no. no. But the idea of freezing wine actually is quite good it's for stocks and, and, and cooking. No, I can't remember that happening. Well, it means you've been thinking about it this way. It means you could open another bottle and have one more glass and then freeze three quarters. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's too, far too dangerous. Far too dangerous. You've been listening to the Food Talk Show, uh, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield as well as being available on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd, a great British chef, and my guest presenter, Holly Shackleton of Speciality Food Magazine. Thank you very much, Holly. Thank you for having uh, me. You need to do an article in your Speciality Food Magazine about that. I do and I will. There you go. There, we there go. you go. See? I can see that coming. <laughs> um, really, it's really thought-provoking. I think. Yeah, really, really, really interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and if you know something doing something groundbreaking, or has got some uh, really great thoughts like Miles Hawley here of Precipice Design, um, please get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or via the Great British Chefs website. Have a good week. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.